Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is Yuri Milovanau. He is the Director of AI and Data Science at SoftServe. He's got more than a decade of experience in building enterprise-level AI, big data, and advanced analytics solutions. His research spans a range of cutting-edge technologies, including AI, machine learning, high-performance computing, natural language processing, and speech recognition. He also contributes to a variety of research projects and communities, including the likes of uh, the Karoo GP and a genetic programming suite used at LIGO Lab for detecting gravitational waves. He joins us today to help demystify generative AI or gen AI and how it can be used in the enterprise to deliver better results. Yuri, welcome to the CEO.digital show. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Craig. And thank you for the warm introduction. It's a privilege to be here with you and your listeners today. And I truly appreciate this opportunity. Me too. I'm very excited to hear about what you've been up to, especially around all the, the AI projects you've been involved in. So let's, why don't we start from the top, your role at SoftServe. Can you give us a little overview of that? And then also anything else um, you know, up until this point before even working for SoftServe? Can you just tell us a little bit about your career uh, up to date as well? Yeah, absolutely. So once again, Yuri Milonov, I'm a global VP of AI and data science with a company called SoftServe, who's a global IT and professional services provider, particularly specializing in cutting-edge technologies such as AI, big data, cloud, IoT, robotics, blockchain, you name it, and specifically in their application to some of the most pressing problems right across industries, whether it's fraud detection in finance or diagnosis assistance in healthcare, or even predictive maintenance manufacturing, we are helping our customers leverage the technology right to solve their most complex problems. And I've been with the company for almost nine years already. So I was the one who started the AI and data science practice here as a practice, right? Back then when I joined the company, we had around a couple of AI researchers spread across different projects. Now we have more than 100 data scientists, AI engineers, and so on and so forth. And yeah, and the quite significant portfolio of, of projects that we deliver, some of the most complex AI systems that we built the last couple of years. So yeah, and I come from engineering background and I was always passionate about solving problems. And what is special about AI is that allows us to address those types of problems which we cannot solve using our traditional software engineering rule-based approaches. Because mm -hmm. human intelligence is limited. It's limited in terms of its capacity, ability to process information. And that's where, where AI, machine learning, data science comes into play. There is also a little bit of magic in what we now call AI, right? It's so exciting why it even works. Because if you think of it, we use some basic principles of 
calculus linear algebra, right? And same time, we get this quite a complex behavior emerging from this technology. So yeah, it's so exciting to be in the industry and see how it evolves, how it grows, and especially some of the recent breakthroughs there. It's exciting. I was going to ask you, how did your AI journey begin or when did you start getting interested in AI and more specifically generative AI? So I've been involved in AI for quite a long period of time, right? Back then we didn't call it AI, we called it statistics. So essentially the idea is that uh, we want to use the data, the knowledge that we have and apply it to some of the most complex problems that we have. And it's been around for quite a while. So starting with more simpler uh, approaches to, to this. And that's what I was taught in the university, right? But then, back then, AI machine learning wasn't, wasn't that popular. So I got to focus more on uh, IT and information security. And that's how I started my AI journey in production. We were working on a on a project around identifying anomalies in network logs and network behavior. And we realized, as I mentioned before, that there are some certain patterns that you just cannot describe using rule-based approach, right? You need to find more creative way to address those types of problems. And we have started piloting some of the early deep learning techniques for anomaly detection. And yeah, that's how it all started. And let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned uh, a couple of popular themes around AI. Uh, especially this year, things like chat, GBT, mid-journey. So there's a lot of interest in this, but I would say, or from what I can see, uh, most enterprises still can't seem to get a proper handle on it or, or using it correctly or efficiently. Why do you think that is? Well, because it's a complex technology, right? And more importantly, we are still early in our understanding of the, of its potential, what it can do, what it cannot do. Although we already collected some success stories and best practices, the true potential of these technologies is still to be uncovered. And another problem, and it's been around for quite a while when we were talking about AI, is that at some point we had to compromise our ability to understand the actual knowledge, the actual assumptions that we put into the CI systems, which made them sort of black box. And it's really hard to trust the black box. So it's also a problem of adoption and building that trust to the technology. And, you know, I think I really like this quote made by Andrew Juan. So he said that ChatGPT was the iPhone moment for, for AI. That is to say that it's a product that shows even to the least technically savvy person what AI can do. Similarly to iPhone, which obviously wasn't the first smartphone, but it was arguably the first one that was easy for everyone, right? And that sparked the current mobile era. And presumably, ChatGPT and GenAI could do the same for AI. So yeah, it's again, exciting time to be in the industry and see how this technology evolves, how we get a better understanding of what we can do with it and find really great application of this tech across many different industries. I think, um, I don't know if you agree, but one of the limitations, I think, with AI is it only really can give back to us what we are programming or telling it like i saw a, a really funny meme the other day and it said to replace programmers clients must tell ai exactly what they need you know our jobs are safe don't worry and it's funny but it does it contains a couple of facts that we you know i'd like to unpack so how do you make sure your prompts are accurate 
And also then, you know, how do you make sure your prompts are accurate? Because it's only as good as the human user, isn't it? Yeah, that's a great question. And maybe it was stepping back a little bit and essentially separate distinguish two different concepts. So one of them is knowledge acquisition or compression, right? That's where AI and modern Gen AI is great at, right? So we can learn from vast amount of data and extract the meaningful information from that data. But applying that knowledge is a separate task. So you can think of these type of systems as a really sophisticated database that you need still to query, right, to get what you need to. And another important aspect that's also quite fascinating about this technology is that, as you mentioned, right, prompt engineering plays a crucial role, and primarily because we change the way we program this type of AI systems. So essentially, the way we define the behavior is using natural language. And there is another famous quote by Andre Kampati, who is a Slovak-Canadian computer scientist, quite famous scientist in the industry. He used to serve as a director of AI at, at Tesla. Now he's, he's open AI. So he made this tweet that English is the hottest programming language of today. And that's true because that's the most difficult part. And the reason for that is that natural language is ambiguous. And while you're programming or shaping the behavior of your system, you have to minimize that ambiguity. And that creates another set of challenges. So that's why essentially the only way we can limit the behavior of the system or shape it right the way we want to is using natural language or human feedback. That's essentially where we spend most of the time uh, building this type of systems. First, we acquire a bunch of knowledge and compress it into a really complex AI system. Then we spend weeks, hours, days to actually teach this model how to use that knowledge. I want to just, going back to that, that sort of meme that I mentioned, uh, there were two questions in there. And the other question really was, are companies, are you seeing companies face internal resistance when it comes to generative AI? Because, you know, essentially people might fear that it's going to take their jobs. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. So how do you overcome that internal resistance? And do you think this sort of generative AI will take people's jobs or maybe creates additional jobs? That's a great question. And maybe it also resonates with what I mentioned before, right? So we need to start with building trust to the technology, educating users and employees on what this technology actually is. That's a crucial initial step. But at the same time, we also have to put a human in the center of whatever system we build. We need to focus on uh, human-specific needs, pain points, right? What, what kind of problem we want to address? Because similar to any other technology breakthrough, there are some jobs that we managed to automate, but at the same time, we created more complex jobs to be done. So I think the same will happen with the AI, Journey VA. We will be able to automate a lot of our routine task and maybe some complex problems that will be new problems because that's the nature of us, of humans. We are always curious, we are competitive, we, we demand for more. There is always a need for a human right to make that next step. AI doesn't have any intent. What about the infrastructure that we need to support generative AI? How do we build the right sort of infrastructure to support that technology within our business? Yeah, that's also a very important aspect because this technology, especially what we are talking about right now, generative AI, they're highly compute intensive. The way we train 
this type of systems right now is essentially we use a chunk of internet. It's petabytes of data. And in order to be able to efficiently process this, this volume, we have to have an infrastructure that allows us to scale to efficiently, first of all, economically efficiently, right? And build this type of systems. That's a critical ingredient. And I think it's a natural evolution of what we've been doing before, right? Because obviously it's not the first time we are, we are building AI system, right? It's just that the challenge that we have right now is much more complex and, and for larger scale than before. So that's one of the aspects. Now the aspect is that this type of systems, we want them to work in real time, which creates another challenge. How do we optimize our cost and performance of, of our infrastructure to be able to deliver that real time experience, right? But at the same time, minimizing the load on our infrastructure. And that's where, where modern cloud trend comes into play, thanks to cloud providers like Google Cloud or AWS. Now we can build this type of systems efficiently. And one last aspect that I wanted to mention is that this stack is still highly experimental, meaning that the behavior of the system highly depends on the data that we use. So oftentimes we need to run multiple experiments and find those that are more successful than other ones. So it's also critical to build proper infrastructure that enables this experimentation, right? So we can quickly iterate over different ideas, select the ones that are successful and efficiently turn them into real products. So that's another important aspect of, of a modern cloud infrastructure is that it actually allows us to achieve that. And once someone has implemented uh, generative AI, how long until they start seeing results from that implementation? Do you have any insight on that? From what you've seen, I know you've worked with clients to actually do this. So it actually depends on the way we, you start your journey. We have some certain guidance, right? The way we advise our customers. So usually we recommend to select a use case that has the shortest feedback loop. And for generative AI, it's also critical to minimize the risks from applying this technology. So we highly recommend to start with some internal process or internal function, the one that is exposed to the users and customers, so that you can quickly pilot this technology internally, get the feedback from your employees, from your users, but also start building the, the trust to this technology. Yeah, that's essentially the some of the best practices that we recommend. If we want to start with something that is feasible, so minimizing your risk, something that is internal, minimizing your potential risk to the users, and something and the use case that has the shortest feedback loop. And what is also critical is be able to clearly define a, a success criteria, a KPI that you can measure and understand what was the actual impact on the specific business function that you apply this technology. And do you have any examples? Like I said, I know you've worked with some clients on some projects are there any successful examples you can speak of right now? Yeah, maybe it's also worth mentioning that there is a common misperception that uh, generative AI is, is something that was relatively recently invented with ChatGPT. But partly these technologies, they've been evolving for the last five years or so. So we've been working with what is now called large language models and, and, and generative AI for quite a while. The landscape of the use cases and, and various applications of, of this tech is quite huge. So I can give you a couple of examples, maybe focusing on specific. So one of them, our customers, they're one of the leading European corporate and investment banking group. And we were hired by their risk management department. And the specific challenge that they had was the amount of incoming requests that they received from various internal departments, right, and employees on their risk policies. 
And their initial idea was that they want to build a tool that will help their risk department better navigate the knowledge that they have. But we quickly realized that it will be much more efficient if we enable users to get the information that they're looking for. So we started with a small proof of concept where we identify some of the most common request specific risk policies to validate how much can we automate, how big would be the, the, the potential impact. And even from the initial proof of concept, we realized together as customer that they are able to automate more than 60% of their manual effort, which was back then quite surprising for early POC. We rolled it out to some limited user base and started scaling. So we realized that there are actually much more use cases that can be held with this technology. So right now, it's the, the, the system that we built for them serves as a backbone for essentially enterprise enterprise search system that not only can answer to the questions related to risk policies, but to any knowledge, the, the private knowledge that this uh, organization has. It serves as an internal educational system. It serves as a onboarding system for their new employees, but it also embedded into many of their business functions, essentially. It's a way to get a ad hoc answers to any questions related to their corporate business. And is financial services the sector where there's the most opportunity, or are you also working across other industries? That's a great question. So maybe let me break it down. So as a company, I think we operate in all industries you can imagine, whether it's financial services, BFSI, broadly speaking, retail, manufacturing, oil and gas, mining, automotive, right, gaming. But where I see, at least as of right now, the generative AI can perform particularly well, those areas where the, the company or organization relies and operates on a vast amount of knowledge. So think of regulatory compliance or healthcare discovery. So in financial industry being one of those that are quite heavy on paper workloads, the amount of knowledge that they have has, I think, one of the biggest opportunities right now for applying this technology along with, with healthcare. But that's why I think they're one of the first ones who started piloting this, this technology. So yeah, I think that quite a lot of success that we've seen in the financial industry will, will eventually scale to other industries as well. Do you think it's more... I guess the companies, the early adopters are those that are managing large volumes of clients or using generative AI to help with client-facing tasks as, a, as opposed to internal or background tasks, or is it across the board? Well, it's across the board. Obviously, you can get a much larger ROI if you apply it to your uh, customer-facing function, but at the same time, it it brings additional risks. Once again, we recommend with uh, starting with something internal, but the most value you can get once you apply to those functions that are critical to your business, right? That generate revenue, right? Or cost where you can actually get some real impact. Yeah, I think it's all about the value. And from making a business case, it's easier to make value if you're talking about your, your customers because of the sort of revenue or cost factor. So talking about financial services, there's a lot of regulation within those industries, which is obvious. There's, uh, you know, stuff around data privacy that you have to consider. Do you think that, um, well, are there any challenges that generative AI creates when it comes to working within those boundaries? Yes, absolutely. So generative AI operates on a vast amount of information and knowledge. And although you can get a lot of 
value out of it, right? But at the same time, it's quite sensitive information, right? You have to be careful with the way you, what kind of knowledge you embed into this type of systems and how that knowledge, that information is, is exposed to your users. So, and for that, again, we should properly design those systems in a way so that we put a proper guardrails so that, and, and pay special attention to data quality because any AI system is as good as the data that was used to train these type of models. And essentially the only way we can avoid any kind of biases in the system is by manipulating the data that we use to train this type of system. I was going to talk about that next, actually. So it's a really good segue. The ethical issues around biases created within generative AI. How do you deal with that? And how do you manage that for your clients? This actually uh, gets us back to the, the ambiguity that we have in the language, right? So there are many different ways to say the same thing in any language. And for some reason, we prefer one over another. And AI doesn't have that guidance. So we need to embed it into the system and essentially tell the model, the AI system, what kind of behavior we want to get. There are multiple different ways how that can be achieved. Once again, the data quality plays a crucial role. So we need to make sure that there are no embedded biases in the data that we use to train. But there are more advanced ways to achieve that. Essentially, we are incorporating human feedback into this type of system so that we can provide explicitly what kind of behavior we prefer and what kind of behavior we expect to have. That is said, there is still huge room for for uncertainty in this type of system. So again, adding additional guardrails on the top help avoid that uh, unexpected type of behavior. And also uh, testing these type of systems is not obvious. It's not a source code that you can essentially cover with a, with a unit test. You need a lot of human feedback to properly understand whether the system behaves you want it to behave. In terms of these other... I guess the ones that have come into the mainstream, the chat GBTs and the bards and all, all that, has those helped shine a light on some of the generative AI work that you're doing when speaking to clients? Well, I mean, as a AI practitioner, obviously, I mean, I was quite excited about chat GPT and the amount of brain power, right, that was put into this system. And again, getting back to Jason Huang's quote, it's helped actually spread the awareness about AI, right? What, what it can do and make it available to everyone, but also created a number of biases. So one of them I already mentioned that it was recently invented, right? Now uh, this tech was, has been evolving. And by the way, Google was one of the, one of the vendors, right? One of the companies who actually invented the core of what we now call generative AI. But there are also other misperception. One of them is being that it's all about ChatGPT. You mentioned BART, but there are also open source alternatives. So the, the tech that is underlying what we now call generative AI is open source. The way different companies apply to, to the data that they have is different, right? Whether it's BART or ChatGPT. And the last thing that I think also is a bit overlooked right now is that many people think that generative AI is all about natural language. Although today I think that we should talk at, uh, at least about three different modalities. Now we can incorporate visual information, right? We can incorporate, we can incorporate video, we can incorporate audio. But more importantly, one of the most promising areas where I see generative AI is going towards is ability to generate source code. And you touched on that earlier, that fear that, that AI will 
replace programmers, software developers. But I think it's actually will, the impact will be different. One of the areas where I think will be the biggest breakthrough in the, in the near future is the way we do data analysis. So if, if you think of a typical data analysis profile, right, they still have to learn SQL language. They ha- still have to understand how to retrieve the data from the database. With Journey.ai, they can just describe what they need to achieve, right? What kind of information they need to get without any SQL programming. I think that will change the way we do data analysis and also think of applications, uh, whether it's web application or mobile, which behavior is generated dynamically based on the user intent. So you don't have to hard code your behavior. You can generate source code based on the user inputs. So I think there is enormous opportunity for generative AI in that space as well. So, and ChatGPT was a great example of what this technology can do, but most of the other competitors right there, they're catching up. And I think that, that we'll see more great breakthroughs in the near future, both from the leading AI companies, but also from some startups and open source. There's a lot of going on in open source community right now because they, it's been the driving force of AI for, for decades. I was going to ask you, you know, what do you think's next for AI? But I mean, that question is so broad. But is there anything that you're excited about that you've heard about recently or something you've seen with regards to AI or generative AI that you'd like to share? So one of the research areas, there's a lot of stuff that's going on is the idea of using large language models in general VI to build what is now called autonomous agents. Right now, there is a human aspect that essentially we use generative AI as a tool that a human can use to interact with. But at the same time, we can use this system, right, and make it talk to itself instead of self-reason or maybe self-critic. We also can involve multiple instances of, of generative AI and let them compete or cooperate. That already showed quite a great results, quite a impressive behavior that emerges out of this. So we can get much deeper insights and also automate the entire business functions. So think of typical procurement job rights. Let's say you got an incoming contract that you need to process and execute. So one of the first task would be, okay, what's this contract all about? What is it about, right? You can use generative AI to drive those insights, but then you can start to reason, okay, what, what does it apply to my business? Whether this particular contract is good for me or not, you can involve other business functions or other agents that will act, right? Represent those other business functions, whether it's your financial uh, department or your customer service and make them compete or cooperate. At the end, you can generate a better version of this contract that you can send back to your customer and use then Gen AI to assist in negotiating that contract, right? Because you use the AI to derive it, right? And based on the, your company's objectives. So obviously those assumptions are embedded and the, the Gen AI can actually assist you in communicating those benefits and in negotiating. So yeah, that's, that's quite an exciting area where I see a lot of cool stuff going on right now. Yeah, as I mentioned before, I I think the true potential of this technology is still to be uncovered. So Google's CEO, I don't know, a few weeks ago discussed that Gen AI is going to have a bigger impact than electricity or fire. It feels like you agree with the statement to a degree, but, you know, it's definitely here to stay and it's definitely going to shape the way that we do business. I was going to ask you if you think it's a fad, but I know you don't. Do you think it's as big as as what the Google CEO described? I mean, what we now call generative AI, there's nothing new in it. It's a natural evolution of the technology that we've been 
using and developing for, for decades. So I think it's, we sort of reached a certain threshold where we can approach much more complex problems with this technology, also make it much more useful for not that technically savvy users. But I think that the implication of this technology is enormous. That was something that at least in the industry was well anticipated, right? So the idea of using the knowledge from that we store in the data and compress it in AI systems so that we can apply it to the problems we care about was has been around for, for quite a while. Is there anything in this industry or field of Gen AI, you think it's not getting enough attention or something that we should be looking at uh, a bit more? No, I think there is so much hype and, and, and attention. Maybe some of the areas are a bit overlooked, as I mentioned, the sort of uh, use cases that, uh, that seem to be less appealing to a broad audience. But at the same time, I think that we have a really healthy discussion right now. So we are addressing both the risks and the opportunities. And I think it's a good conversation to have. And also in terms of the, from the adoption standpoint, we need to ask those questions and we need to, people to debate over them. And also the question of regulations is, is around, which is also good because I think the more regulations will be there, the more trust will be to this technology from the users. So no, I think it's what is going on right now. Again, for me, being a practitioner and a business leader in AI, it's a great time. We are talking right it's a summer 2023. Usually for us as a business, summer is a, quite a slow season, right? People are on vacation and so on and so forth. But r- right now with Gen AI, it's, it's completely different. There's so much things going on right now. Is there anything we should be worried about? Are we moving too fast? Should we slow down? You know, I know there was all the tech giants, they sort of came together and said these things, but are you in agreement with that? So I think the biggest fear that I have is that we will make the same mistake we made before with AI. So we over-promised and under-delivered multiple times. So I think it's first of all the pressure on us and practitioners to deliver on those expectations. So that's the biggest fear that I have right now, that we, the time where we, we should maybe put extra effort into actually proving that this tech can make the real impact across across businesses, across industries. That's where I see the, the goal for, for us as a company and for my team is. Very um, level-headed answer. I liked it. So let's, I just, final question. So if I was working at an enterprise and I wanted to create some suitable use cases for this sort of technology. What should I be looking at? Where do I start? Do you have any insights on that? So maybe I can reiterate, summarize some of the things that I mentioned before. So first of all, the way we recommend our customers to decide where this technology can be applied is looking for those high value, low risk use cases. And when we talk about risk, usually it's, first of all, it's feasibility. And although it's a general purpose technology that can be applied to essentially any problem that can be described in natural language, think of university or school tests that that we all take in. But at the same time, there are some certain areas where we already see some great results. So probably look into those areas such as knowledge utilization or customer service automation. Those use cases already has been proven to be feasible also time to market. So when you think of time to market, there are many different implementation scenarios, right? So a company may use one of the available managed services, APIs that are ready to use, although there is still a lot of work and effort to be done to build a proper product around it. But at least you can focus on the actual product, not on the the underlying technology. And that allows to get some really great results and maybe prove the, the value of the use case. 
But at the same time, once the company realizes that they want to scale and evolve, they may consider building these capabilities in-house. And also cost is an important aspect. So this technology is not cheap. Building in-house could be cheaper and more financially efficient. So there are certain trade-offs there as well. So identifying those low-hanging fruits is critical, to where to stay, especially unique to the business. And again, start with an internal process, internal function, identify niche problem to minimize the complexity, and uh, find the, the problem where you can clearly put a success criteria or a KPI to measure the success. And uh, that has a shortest feedback loop, so you can quickly prove the, the, the value, the impact of, of the tech, and then scale it to a broader set of problems and use cases. You have mentioned, like you said, a few of those throughout the conversation. I thought it just as a nice way to summarize it. So thank you for clearing that up. What about, so all these Gen AI tools and software currently, they don't, they sort of, they're speaking to us and they're they speaking to systems that we regulate. Do you think there's ever going to be a time where they start speaking to each other? And we would have to allow that, right? But do you think it, there could be like a plug and play with generative AI where the AI just starts speaking to each other and solving problems for you? Or am I just watching too many movies? No, that's exactly what I mentioned before, the idea of autonomous agents. So let, let an AI to speak to itself. That's where there is a lot of research is done. At, but the issue is, right, that they're still early in this kind of journey. We still hardly can understand why it's even working, right? So, which means that, you know, when, when we increase the, the complexity of, of the application, right, all those errors, all those kind of uh, areas where we don't clearly have a control, they, they propagate. That's why it's still sort of a wild west. So there are a lot of really nice results that people have done, right? But it's really hard to apply it in a reliable way. But I think it's, it's where the technology is going to. Thank you very much, Yuri. I know we're sort of getting to the end of our time together. We've spoken a lot about AI. I've not spoken too much about you. I would like to ask you a few questions about yourself, if that's okay, just for the listener and just to get to know you a bit better. So one of my favorite questions is, how do your friends describe what you do versus, say, your family or your colleagues? Is everyone able to articulate what you do for a job? I think that for most of my friends, the thing that I'm doing that sounds like magic. And there is, as I mentioned, a little bit of magic in it. I have this kind of flavor of being a, a crazy scientist, right, in some way, a mad scientist. But yeah, I think that's uh, something that changes over time, that more and more people understand what's, what AI is and the more application we see around, right, that it changes that perspective. But yeah, that's pretty much the, the persona that, that, uh, that the, the, the way people perceive me, right? That crazy scientist. And then do you have any guilty technology pleasure? Again, being coming from, from the engineering background, especially now that I focus more on the business aspect of it, I'm, I, I still want quite often, right? I really want to get my hands dirty and try different things because, I mean, that's my nature and solving the problem. So most of the, my free time, I actually spend doing the same as I do for my work, essentially seeing what is going on, right? And, and what the technology can do. Did you remember the first thing you asked ChatGBT? I think it was something something similar to what I would ask Google or do on a web search. There is a, actually the 
common again the misperception of this technology, right? Because they people think that it's very important aspect, right? What do you ask first, right? Because depending on the answer you get, you it's the first impression. So f- since I, I knew in advance what the technology is, and I've been playing with chat with GPT version, early versions like GPT one, GPT two. So I've seen this evolution. So the, the the question that I asked was rather boring, but I heard a lot of stories about people who asked the uh, something like, "What's the?" day to day, right? And uh, they, they got a wrong answer, obviously, because ChatGPT was trained on the data, uh, I think, from 2021 or something like that. So it's quite a bit outdated, obviously doesn't have all that no- recent knowledge. But that's a really good question. I'll ask my friends as well, what did they ask? What was their first question? Yeah, I think it, mine was about I don't know, coding something, because I'm not very good at coding. So I want to see. Okay. And then in terms of uh, podcasts, movies, Netflix, anything good that you're reading to, sorry, reading or listening to right now? I'm a huge fan of, uh, of, of podcast movement overall, right? So obviously I have quite a few favorite ones, right? And, and living in, in the States, obviously I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan, right? But yeah, I mean, I wish I had more time to, to actually to listen to something that is not related directly to what I'm doing, right? Because I mean, the, again, there's so much stuff is going on and I might have this natural curiosity to learn about the things. I don't have much time to listen to other podcasts. Well, thank you very much, Yuri. Uh, that does uh, wrap up the session. It's been very insightful for me. I love speaking to people like you. I always learn something new. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and, and spending your time. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it and thank you. Yeah, thank you. And, and I also really enjoyed this conversation and I, I, I really appreciate this opportunity. So thank you very much. And if you've liked that conversation, please do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please look at uh, the guest list for the next upcoming guest but that wraps up today's episode thank you and thank you yuri 